This is episode 459, Lessons from the Early Church. My name is Mike, and I want to thank you all for joining us today. Um, episode 49, we're going to talk about lessons of the early church, and I've already been recording for 10 minutes with no sound on. It was some good stuff, I'll tell you that much was really good stuff. You missed it all. Anyways, we're going to talk about um, early church and evangelism and what we can learn from them. I think this is an important topic when we consider the closeness to the early church. When we look at what the early church does... And how they go about evangelism, we can learn about them. Because when we think about what of all the kind of methods of evangelism today, we'll put it out there. I mean, probably the more popular and what I've been taught and what you hear a lot of is friendship evangelism. And the idea of friendship evangelism is that you live a godly life and you show people the and how you live the power and work of God so that hopefully they will ask for this hope that's in you and that gives you the opportunity to preach the gospel you have people who go door to door some people don't like it because it seems very Mormonish Jehovah witnesses but James D. Kennedy and Evangelism Explosion was very much an idea about going door to door, meeting the people in the community near the church and inviting them and sharing the gospel with people. You have Ray Comfort and Way the Master and Wretched Radio with Todd Friel, and they have really promoted on a larger scale the idea of open air evangelism one-to-one and engaging people in the public place to get the gospel out. Now there is a lot that can be said about these methods and that's not the point of the podcast. The point of the podcast is to look at the early church. What are they doing? What are some of the situations they're in and how are they evangelizing? What are they doing to present the gospel. Now, we're just not going to start in the early church because that would be wrong of us. They have a foundation in which they are building off of. We're going to look at the Bible. Now, there's a lot to be said to kind of promote evangelism just in the Bible, and it's commanded. So, Really, when we're looking at the early church, we're looking at how are they fulfilling this command. We're told to go. But Matthew 28 is not the first time you have this idea of the spread. 
when we consider what Israel was supposed to do, they were supposed to be a light in the darkness. The nations were to look on Israel and see the blessing of God and want that blessing. They wanted to do it. And God has designed that to bring people into his fold, to bring more people into the people of God. The invisible church, as we would say. That those who believed upon the promises of God would come. And probably the clearest example that I can think of right kind of right now is Rahab. Let's think about the story of Rahab. Here is this lady. She is not of a noble prof- profession, a woman of the night, as some would say. And she hides two spies. The king comes and she tells the king the spies have left. A certain statement that would given that if was found out to be false would have deemed her a traitor and she would have died. And yet she feared God from the story she heard. 40 years before about how God saved a people from Egypt and they crossed across the Red Sea on dry ground on dry, on dry ground and Pharaoh's army was destroyed she believed God more than she feared the punishment of the king And this is just one story about Gentiles coming into the people of God. Well, when we get to the New Testament, there are two primary texts that we tend to look at and we'll see and we'll look at them. The first one is Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20. Now, we all know this is probably the most famous out of all of them. But to to think about what is going on here and how the early church is moving this, we need to consider this text. So Matthew writes his final verses. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's think about this passage. Jesus starts out by telling them, by giving them the grounds in which the command is going to come. All authority on heaven and on earth have been given to me. He has all authority. He is the one who is the great one. He's now no longer 
this rabbi, he is the exalted Christ, the one who has died and has rose again for the justification of sinners. He's about to ascend into heaven. And so he's giving them the final commission, the final command, the, the mission of their work. And the mission is make disciples. That's the goal. He is telling the disciples to make more disciples. And the that's the main point. That's the action. Go is part of it. So there's a point in order to make disciples, they must go. They have someplace to be. They're not to stick around. And so Jesus tells them to go. To make disciples. And not just Jewish disciples, not just Sumerian disciples. He tells them to make disciples of all nations. All nations. Not just a few nations, some nations. All nations. So the one who has all authority tells these disciples to make disciples by leaving where they're at because they need to make disciples in all nations. But that's just not it. There's a promise now to do this to the end of time. And they're to do this in the end of time because God, Jesus, promises that I am with you always till the end of time. That when the church is on the mission, when the church is doing what it's supposed to be doing, making disciples, God, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, is with us. We have Jesus with us. This is going to become important when we think about the early church and how they go about it. So Matthew tells us to go make disciples of all nations with the promise that he'll be with us till the end of the earth. Now we are to do things when we make disciples as to baptize them and teach them. So it's a continuation. But the point of the passage is to go make disciples. The other passage that we also look at and we see and very important is in Acts chapter 1. Now, Luke here in the second part of his letters that he is now kind of in a little overlap from the gospel of Luke is now going to transition and talk to us about this spread. That is, when we look at Acts, we see how they are evangelizing. And so this is the important, kind of maybe even more important book when we consider 
what is going on. And the main theme of this book and how this will play out is seen in verse 8. So the disciples are there. They're on the mount. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And they asked him when the kingdom is coming, which we need to consider is a very valid question. He is the king. He is the Messiah. So when is this kingdom coming? And Jesus' answer is, it's not for you to know. Which is kind of way is, it's not now. Instead, he commissions them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what we will see and what when we read Acts, what we do see is that in Acts chapter 2, the, evangel- the gospel is brought out into Jerusalem. We see that through the next chapters. Stephen dies, and then the gospel goes out. And we see here Simon the musician. We see Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And then Paul is saved, Saul. And then it still spreads. Peter and Cornelius is going out. So they're now away from Jerusalem. They're now in this both Judea and Samaria in the area. And then in verse 11, or sorry, not verse 11, in chapter 13, we now see them go to the ends of the earth. And then 16 through the rest of the chapter, or the rest of the book is tra- following Paul as he goes and takes the gospel to the ends of the earth. What's also unique in this that every major turn is started by Peter. So Peter is the one who preaches on Pentecost. Peter is the one who first tells the gospel to Gentiles. So Peter is kind of the key that the ch- God uses to open up the church. And then Paul takes it to the ends of the earth, going to the Gentiles. And what we see in Acts and in different places is how they evangelize. In Acts 2, it's very much open air. That's what they're there. He's These people are... You know, there's a lot of things going on. It's Pentecost and people are thinking the disciples are drunk and who stands up and proclaims the word of God? Well, it's Peter in like an open air setting to the crowd. We see them meeting in churches. We see Paul going to the Areopagus. He walks around in the marketplace. We see him in synagogues. They are going around and teaching the gospel. They were meeting in people's homes where the gospel is being proclaimed. So family members who are unbelieving her in the house are there. Acts becomes then kind of the means and the modes in which we will now see 
a continuation in the early church. But this isn't just in Acts. We think about Romans 15, 23 and 24. Paul expresses desires to not only go to Rome, but to sail past Rome and go to Spain. He's not... He's done with the area he is at. Churches are being started. People are evangelizing. They're doing their own work. Now Paul has his sights in a different area. But not only that, when we think about here finally, before we move on, what also is talked about is when Paul, who's now 63 AD, he is in a Roman prison. He is now facing his death. He pens Second Timothy, the second letter of Timothy that we have, the final letter of Paul's of all of Paul's work. And you see the language I've fought the good fight, I've, I've ran the race. But he tells Timothy, an elder in the church in the Ephesus church. He tells them, he tells him, do the work of evangelist. Paul wants this elder to do the work of the evangelist. To go and proclaim the gospel. And so we see kind of and it may be kind of deceiving at first or not deceiving high surface and and looking at it is like these are all kind of people who are important in the church timothy is an elder paul is an apostle to the gentiles you have the apostle peter and they're doing these things but they are examples for us to do it and that there's a sense in which we should be somehow proclaiming the gospel. And what we're going to see when we kind of look at the early church is this is what they do. This is what they do. The early church, everyone is seemingly those who are doing the work of evangelists. They're all, in a sense, proclaiming the gospel. And so we can say the early church continued this zeal. And that they did it wherever they can find listeners. And they've done it in different ways. And at this point, a lot of my research, and if you wanted to read more about this, is a book called Evangelism in the Early Church by Michael Green. It's several years old. There's a revised vision, version edition um, that I would encourage you, if you wanted to learn more, to read. I found it very insightful in this. And one thing he highlights and kind of moving to is that there's a <clears throat> the importance of 
the fact that no one is told that we have to preach the gospel. There is no treatises on how to do evangelism in the early church. You don't have the, some of the same books that we have nowadays trying to encourage people and help people along to preach the gospel. This seemingly then, and maybe somewhat naively, assumes that for the most part, that was how people lived their lives. That there is a sense in which they lived in a way that encouraged evangelism. And one thing to note is when we um, to think about just kind of the early church and this is important when we consider it. Um, Irenaeus, who writes um, the treatise against heresies, he is trying to defend the idea of the cohesion of the church. And he writes, and let's consider at this point, he's um, second century third century um, church father, what he says, he goes, for although the language of the world are dissimilar, so they're not the same, yet the import of the tradition is one and the same. For the churches who have been planted in Germany do not believe or hand down anything different, nor do those in Spain, nor the, those in Gaul, nor those in the East, nor those in Egypt, nor those in Libya, or nor those who have been established in the central regions of the world. But as the Son, the creator of God, that creature of God, excuse me, is one and the same throughout the whole world, so also the preaching of the truths shineth everywhere and enlightens all men that are willing to come to the knowledge of the truth. Nor will any of the rulers in the churches, however highly gifted he may be in point of eloquence, teach doctrines different from those, for no one is greater than the master. Nor, on the other hand, will he, will he who is deficient in power of expression inflict injury on the tradition. For the faith belong, being ever one and the same, nor does one who is able to, at great lengths of discourse regard it for any additions to it, nor does one who can say it but little diminish it. So here, Irenaeus talking about, look, the churches all over the known world believes the same thing, and he compares it to the sun. That this sun shows everything. It reveals it all. And that it's the same sun that shines everywhere. So this is the same as the teaching. That the teaching is not different. And how does he say? Well, it's the preaching of truth. So we see here in the early church that there's importance on preaching and that the truth shineth everywhere and lines all men that are willing to come to the knowledge of the truth. So there's a point in which the teaching, the preaching has a point 
to bring people to the truth. How do you bring people to the truth? Where you preach the gospel. So very early on, we see the same, at least in one method, that is the same. That you have people preaching. And at this time of the church, they all have the same doctrines. They believe the same thing, no matter where they're at. And so when we kind of consider the early church, we need to consider that the early church had one message. It was the message of God. It was the gospel. And that was the one truth in which all the churches and no one can injure it. No one is too elegant to change this because it comes from one source. It comes from Jesus. So we see that Christianity, as it spreads, it teaches the same message. Again, we see the different parts of the world being mentioned in Eusebius. Eusebius from Caesarea mentions that the office of evangelist was performed by many people and that these people sold their possessions so that they could travel to people who heard not, who have not heard the gospel. I mean, that's kind of important. <coughs> That is just not, I mean, that's what we call missionaries to do. Here. <clears throat> Another word from Eusebius. He goes, for indeed, most of the disciples of that time, animated by divine word and a more ardent love for philosophy, were already fulfilled were already fulfilled the commands of the Savior and had distributed their goods to the needies. Then starting out upon long journeys, they performed the office of evangelists, being filled with the desires to preach Christ to those who had not heard the word of truth and to deliver them from, and deliver them, deliver to them the divine gospels. So Eusebius here explains that, look, they had missionaries. People are selling their goods to go and travel. So when we consider what today is, there are people who do not know the gospel. And so we should pray, as we're told to pray, that God will bring the harvest. That God will raise people up who are animated by divine word to go and preach the gospel. To be ones who will be willing to go to another country 
and be able to, <clears throat> again, give them divine hope. And so we see here again the, the importance of it. And as we mentioned, there was um, in Acts the idea of open-air preaching and, and witnessing and meeting with the educated elites. Sorry, elites. And when we consider um, some of the important some of the importance part of it, the early church also continued to follow these traditions and go and preach the gospel. Um, you, um, Irenaeus talks about how the church... Um, starts off by preaching and that from the preaching leads to then this idea or leads to the writing of the scripture he says for after our lord rose from the dead the apostles were invested with the power from on high when the holy spirit came down upon them were filled with all of his gifts and perfect knowledge. They departed to the ends of the earth, preaching the good tidings of the good things sent from God to us, and proclaimed the peace of heaven to men, who all indeed who indeed do all equally and individually possess the gospel of God. And then he will later on and talk about how Matthew writes the gospels and then um Peter and Paul are preaching in Rome and that Mark is a disciple interpreter of Peter and Luke also a companion of Paul writes his gospels and then John writes his. <clears throat> again, this is in Aranasis against heresy. And so we see here again, the importance of preaching. And there's a story and we see also this encouragement to um, preach in the open air. They continue to do what the disciples started earlier. Um, in fact, in his book here, Evangelism in the Early Church, um, Michael Green, sorry, um, goes on and talks about how they continued the preaching of the open air and that they saw value in this teaching. So it wasn't just the early church and it's, or just an acts they continued 
to preach in the open air. That they would go and find places to preach. In fact, we see this in the Renaissance of the Gospel and the Reformation. There's a story that John Knox would preach a sermon on sun, on on Sunday morning and then walk out his church and walk up a pulpit on the outside of his church and then preach to the people <coughs> about and proclaim the gospel to the people in the square. And so we should consider when we think about even this, that the people are not... They're going out there. Even in the threat of death, are people kind of doing this? Another way Michael Green talks about how evangelism was in homes. They didn't have church buildings like we do now. They would meet in homes. And, I mean, you have this idea in the early church that Christians were cannibals because of the sacraments and for specifically the Lord's Supper and the language of eating the flesh of Christ and drinking his blood while symbolic and they have this symbolic seems weird and that stories about them putting babies inside bread and baking them and and then eating it were common. Um, but it's the idea of the home of meeting at home and to preaching it would allow people to hear and unregenerate children would hear. You would see others. And so the home became home churches and just home life in general for Christians became means of evangelism. Now we haven't neglected that in the American church as we think about it with, I know we had a show on it and in some sense, but Christian parents want their kids to be Christians and that's a way to evangelize them. You do it in the home. Another uh, way the early church did it was through letters. In fact, that's probably maybe one of the primary of what we have. When we consider just the amount of apologetic work out there, I mean, I've already quoted Irenaeus twice. It's his book Against Heresies, where he's writing in defense of Christianity. Another one is the letter of Diognetus, where the author Diognetus, um, or the author wants Diognetus to understand the problems of worshiping idols. And he goes through and talks about the gospel. He, he gives a defense. And so most of what we have of the early church, when we consider about their evangelism, is that they wrote letters i have a friend his had a relative uh send a book like letter on why he went to the church of rome now 
I mean, it's opposite of, of, you know, kind of when we think about evangelism, but that's kind of what they were doing as an example. They would go out and they would try to um, get with their people and to um, try to present themselves within a framework and to to evangelize. I mean, um, the author to the letter of Dagnus writes, do you, do you rather mock and act presumptuously to them when you worship gods of stones and clay whom are without guards, but you lock up gods made of silver and of gold at night and post guards during the day so that they may not be stolen. I mean, think about the point of that. Trying to get the reader to understand you got to lock up your idol. They're going to be stole, stolen. You're worshiping things. The folly of a false god. So he gives him what he needs to change. It's the gospel. Don't worship this created thing. Worship the one who created you. And... So we see here in the early church with it, um, we see in the early church a, a desire to spread the gospel. Um, some other quotes. Um, Tertullian, his apology, he writes, his disciples, and this is Jesus's, are spreading over the world as their divine master bade them. And after suffering greatly themselves from persecution and Jews, and with no unwilling heart as having undoubted in the truth, at last by Nero's cruel sword, sowed the seed of Christian blood at Rome. <clears throat> and so we see here again, the willingness to go to to be part of it we have origin speaks i think origins here really makes a good point um about just how willing Christians were. He writes, this is origin against um, Celis. He goes, now that the above statement is false, is clear about this, and that is, if all men wish to become Christians, the latter would not desire such a result. He goes, that Christians do not neglect, as far as it's in them lies, to take measures to disseminate their doctrine throughout all the world. Some of them, accordingly, have made it their business to initiate not only or iterate not only through cities, but even villages and country houses that they might make converts to God. One who would maintain that they do this for the sake of gain, when sometimes they would appear to accept even necessary substances. Or if at any times they were pressed by necessity of this source, were contend with mere supply of their wants 
though they were willing to share with them and bestow upon them far above their need. And so, see here, again, just think about it, made it their business, not only go through cities, but through villages and country houses to go to the gospel. They are going out. And when we consider then, what are we doing? What are we doing to get the gospel out? Now, G220 um, exists. G20 Ministries exists for that. That's what Ricky started G220 Ministries for, was to get the gospel out. Doing doing it through open-air preaching and one-to-one evangelism. But that's not the only way. Like when we consider the methods of evangelism that the early church gives, they are trying to find ways to get the gospel out. And when we take that mindset to think through it, that they're trying to tell people the message. And so when you have lifestyle evangelism, and I will cover this in a little bit, I think there's some important aspects there that we need to keep. But we're not waiting. We're not waiting for people to come. We're initiating. We're going. There's not really time to lose. Life is but a vapor. I think what the early church helps us to understand is the importance of going, of doing something, somehow, some way, proclaiming the gospel. And now there's needs and times to go and help fund evangelism. You know, you go to Nathaniel's Facebook page and See the GoFundMe and you can give help him go and preach the gospel at the Super Bowl this next year, this at the end of this season. And those are good things and we should be willing to do that, but we should not neglect our own. And I mean, I'm saying this as one who has a very real problem. I'm dealing with. I don't have the desire to, to open air preaching. But I should be somehow engaging unbelievers with the gospel. My last job, it was easy. I worked with a whole bunch of them. But we need to figure out ways. We need to pray to God to give us the wisdom to go, to figure out these ways, to be more people centered on the gospel. Now, one thing that makes all of this works, and this is what the early church helps us, was that it wasn't a gospel message 
devoid of a lifestyle. I think when I look at the modern church and our our emphasis in trying to get people back into evangel into evangelizing, we have these methods and you do this and you do this. You know, live your best, live as best as you can towards a Christian. Be, you know, honest and they'll come. You have that idea. But I think they're not far off. In a sense, lifestyle evangelism as presented is something we should do. We should live a lifestyle that brings glory to God to act like Christians and to be ready. If someone does ask us to be faithful and to present the gospel, but at the same time, and what I feel the book and that teaching neglects is that we're called to go. I think there's a sense in which we should be intentional in our friendship evangelism. We shouldn't just try to be friends with someone in hopes that they will come and ask us about the hope that lies within us. That we should make friends with those who are in our lives who need gospel, the gospel preached to them. We also need friends to build us up and stir us into love and good works. And those friends should be closer than these other friends, but it shouldn't neglect it. I think Rosaria Butterfield helps us here on this point that when we are willing to be hospitable to those who don't believe and be intentional, we can now provide something to them they know. They can come and they can help. We can be not only ones who tells them the gospel to tell them the gospel, but live that out in how we interact with others, how we interact with our kids, our spouses, and others. Because sometimes seeing helps and being with it. So does this mean we shouldn't open air preaching? No. It's not what this means. It has its place and it is valuable. But how you interact during your open air preaching is also an equally important. If you're a jerk, you're going to turn people away from the gospel. There is a sense we need to invite them in and to think with us. To reason together. And we reason with them by showing them the greatest, showing them the greatest news and how it affects our life, but also telling them the news. We're a religion that goes and tells. And we have a promise from our Lord and Savior, that when we go, he will be with us 
to the end of time. And that should bring us hope. What makes the early church fascinating and when I have opportunities to do this, I think is we see in a sense a rawness of the church. There's a very there's it's just it's raw with it. I'm not saying all that they do is right, it's wrong, but they are our brothers. And we can learn from them in a time in which, frankly, we're becoming more like. Persecution is not that far away in the grand scheme of things. The early church went through a lot of persecution. In fact, in my own study, what's interesting is it is during the Middle Ages do we start seeing kind of this push for evangelism. When Christianity is legalized, it brings about some consequences. When it's promoted in order to be part of the Roman government, you have people becoming Christians for political reasons. The response to this is now you have a whole bunch of people in church who are not pursuing holiness and you have the rise of the desert fathers and asceticism and the monastic movement. And then you have the Franciscan um, branch system of monks who have their own charge to go to the Muslims and to proclaim the gospel to them. It's, in a sense, it becomes professional. You have to have you have to be a priest or you have to have a degree. Those are the people who are to evangelize. I think we see this somewhat today. Well, I'm not called to be an evangelist. It's the pastor's job. You have professional evangelists who, who just go around and preach in big tents and not necessarily saying that's wrong. But there's a sense in which what we read in the early church is that this is common for all stripes all what we would say um, are social groups. And so to leave in this way and to, to think about it is we should be a people if we believe the gospel we should be a people who will be willing to take the gospel to anywhere in any way to do it. There are ways that people are able to present the gospel. If your family writes a Christmas letter, 
why not why not incorporate in the letter in the ebbs and flow about God's grace to you this past year maybe throw in a gospel track God uses them maybe at family gatherings should be more intentional it's scary I don't like doing it but if they're not saved they're going to hell and so let's all including myself it's not just for people listening it's being more intentional think about ways that we can bring not only how the gospel shapes our lives and how we live but how can we faithfully proclaim it to be ones willing to speak gospel the gospel to people not only in our churches as we edify each other up and to build each other on, but also in the people around us, our neighbors. Maybe even on online communication through social media. Like there's different avenues we can look at this. And so let's, let's stop. We've been commanded to go make disciples preach the gospel bring them in and have them baptized and to teach them all that the Lord has commanded us that's where the blessing of the Lord lies in the church and a faithful church will be blessed by God so to thank all of you for listening to this episode this is episode number 459 we talked about lessons from the early church we have more episodes both on youtube and on podbean so if you like this episode listen to some more and if you really like it subscribe and you can connect with us on Facebook or if you have complaints, you can email them at g220radio at gmail.com for Ricky and Nathaniel who are not able to be on today. I want to thank all of you and for all of for them and myself. This has been G220 Radio. God bless.